Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? It's been a long ass day and it's, there's no end in sight. So just gonna keep rolling and the next few hours we'll be drunk. <laughs> Dude, there are only long days in crypto media. There are no short days in crypto media. I think that's what I've learned. Every single like media person in, 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 in this industry is busy as fuck. And I can speak from experience on that one. Yeah, so how's the, like, the first, was it, it's been like six months since you've been full-time? How, how many months? Bankless? No, except from September, so it's basically one quarter. We've been a, co- a company for one quarter. Mm-hmm. Nice, been a hell of a quarter. Yeah, it's been a hell of a quarter, that's for sure. I mean, granted, like, it's not like the company started, or the roots of the company didn't start in, like, you know, September. Like, Ryan started the newsletter even earlier than that. We started the podcast earlier than that, so it's not like this exploded out the door, but still... Not a bad first quarter. Yeah, congrats. I mean, it it, it definitely wears on me. So I don't like. I know yeah. why Pete Rizzo moved on from CoinDesk, and mm-hmm. you know, there'll be a time where someone else will have to take up the mantle at the Coin Magazine. Mm-hmm. But so far, <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun grind for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it kind of just makes sense because like uh, crypto is getting headlines again, especially in 2020. Like. 2020 is when we saw crypto headlines start to become a thing again. So it kind of makes sense that like the internal, uh, internal like media and advertising ecosystem starts to starts to heat up. Anyways, Christian, what are we gonna talk about today? Should we get into it? Yeah. So I mean, we can kind of talk about prices and stuff, but we've been going back and forth a lot on like what is the role of government? Like how should we organize? Um, you know, we've discussed multiple times that there may be slightly different political tendencies amongst people in the Bitcoin space versus people in the Ethereum space versus people outside of crypto altogether. So, sorry, I'm like burping while I'm trying to talk. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, like it it is a a nuanced conversation. Yeah, yeah. It's it's something that everyone notices. Like people tend to gravitate towards Bitcoin and some other people tend to gravitate towards Ethereum. And it seems to be like they were set on that path even before they came into the industry. And I even think that perhaps that is also true even before people like get into crypto at all, right? Certain people gravitate towards crypto and certain people don't gravitate towards crypto and gravitate towards other things. Some people gravitate towards like the opposite of crypto, which I think is actually like being involved in government, which is kind of how we are getting involved with, with this Rohan character as an industry. Like Rohan seems to be like the embodiment of like the opposite of crypto. And like he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't strike me as like a totalitarian type. He doesn't believe in the straight up power of the government, but he does believe in the government being the way that we get as a people, how we get what we want. I, I think that he sees that if pe- the people want something, they should turn to the government, and the government should deliver that, which I think is just diametrically opposed to the whole industry. I think I think that's a fair statement to make. Well, he is an MMTer, and strangely, MMTers diagnose a lot of the issues with the current system that crypto people diagnose, Bitcoiners diagnose. It's just their solution is, like you said, diametrically, diametrically, I can't say it right now, but just completely opposite of, you know, what a, someone who would be a free market crypto, um, you know, anarchist type solution. The solution that maybe we would offer is, um, more freedom, more market-based choice that, you know, even money was an evolution 
mm-hmm. uh, versus uh, what MMTers think is money is a product of the state, and they really have a statist-centric kind of like mentality. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I, what's also interesting is like the, we both cite both of our industries, the MMTers and like the crypto people, both cite books like debt the first 5,000 years. Like we both cite that as like the genesis, one part of the story of the genesis of like our industries or or what like money is, right? And like what's interesting well, to me is like- Bitcoiners don't say that. That's, really? I think that's a, I think that's that's a, a crypto, thing? that's a Ethereum crypto thing. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, one thing I think is interesting is like, like there are, we were talking about how there are similarity, similarities between like Rohan and people in our industry and MMT and what we're doing here is like, there seems to be like, well, there's Bitcoin maximalists and then there's Ethereum maximalists, maximalists. And then there's like MMT maximalists. And the thing is like, they are all relatively mutually exclusive. Like MMT maximalists want to like use the coercive power of the state to ensure the strongest brand of the dollar so that the MMT going on is super effective, which means like Bitcoin can't work because Bitcoin threatens the power of MMT or Ethereum can't work and stable coins can't work because MMT, which is the thing that protects money as a public good, needs to be all powerful, right? In order to work to its maximum extent. And it can't be all powerful if Bitcoin is an option, right? And so like to some degree, like the reason why we can't get along, quote unquote, with Rohan is because his way is it means that we can't have our way. And vice versa, if we have our way, we can't also have his way. And so like there's maximalism to some degree. So, I mean, we assume that there's like network effects to money, but you're right. You know, MMT can't live in competition. It must live in a monetary monopoly, right? And when you stop tethering money to commodities or like reality, and then it just becomes, you know, a product of the state. Then all of a sudden, once you like tie in anti-counterfeit cryptocurrencies that allow you to create tokens that peg to dollars, all of a sudden you have to start regulating, you know, that activity too, because there's nothing outside of the regulation that kind of, you know, tether what is a dollar, what is this money thing to reality other than the state produced it. So like MMT, it, if anything, it's it's kind of by nature, it is anti-technology because whatever technology and whatever the market produces from a technological perspective, you know, they're going to have to tie in some sort of analog government in order to maintain the printing power exclusively to the state. Yeah, no, that, that's all. That's all totally right. One thing I, one thing I'm frustrated by in my main query qualm with this character and like i'm kind of like mentally prepping to to interview him day after tomorrow um is like some of his conclusions to me point to inevitable like suffering right and i'll, and I'll explain what, what what i mean by that is like the like the word node or running a node needs to not come out of rohan's mouth because what that is implying and what he has said on various interviews is that like you know, he if 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 they're if, even if they're decentralized crypto assets like die, if they can't figure out how to stop them, then they'll just go to the next higher up like responsible party, right? And so the reason why he's talking about nodes is that he believes that you know he does he doesn't believe in like this faceless network 
of just like people of like a homogenous group of people in the cloud running this network. He understands that like there are real people in the US running nodes that are processing the transactions. And, and because of that, there are people that are responsible for their actions that that can take responsibility. And like my perspective is that even if that's true, and the United States does like quote unquote regulate nodes, it won't actually do anything because all the other nodes that aren't in the US will process the transactions. So what's the fucking point about like, I don't know what you're ever gonna do, but like fining or jailing or punishing people for running nodes, what's the point in that when you know that it's futile in the end anyways? That's just the essence of totalitarianism. The government can't ban Bitcoin. The government can't ban any open source, decent truly decentralized network. All it can do is attempt to ban its citizens and its companies from tapping into those networks. So it's really, it would be a ban on its people. It would be holding back whatever government's people. It would be preventing them from participating in the network, not taking down the network. They would have to have global reach in order in global totalitarian control in order to take down the network. So if anything, it's just the government being more of an any state and saying, no, you right. can't. And I think Pierre brought up a really good point is like, is running a node running the network or is it just witnessing transactions? Right. It would be right. kind of a far reach to say it's illegal to witness a crime, even if it to go as far as saying a crime was committed by taking a transaction on the network. Um, it would be a pretty mm -hmm. far legal reach to say that witnessing a crime is illegal because my my node didn't perform a crime. All it is witness a crime that happened on the network theoretically. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's that's a really interesting perspective. And, and also, like, to some degree, no one in the crypto space thinks this stable act is going to uh, actually pass. But like, I think we just like to talk about it as like a, an exercise. To me, it's a it's also worth noting that like, this is not at all what this country was like founded upon. This is like complete control of a central government over states rights until I guess state states can just like undo stuff. But like, it's very much a very strong puts power in the central government, which and it's anti-innovation, it's anti-freedom, it's anti all the things that like America likes to, to be a proud of. Like it's anti-coercion or, or the Sable Act is coercion. Uh, and so like, it just doesn't even resonate with like some of the values that our entire country is based upon. A lot of the things that uh, central institutions in America do the, today don't really resonate with what the this country was founded upon. Yeah, that's true. I guess, I guess that's kind of just an appeal to emotion. I mean, but isn't this kind of the back and forth that me and you've had on Twitter? Like, what is the right yeah. way to assess and contain the coronavirus mm -hmm. problem? And how do you coordinate all these people? Like, my, yeah. my firm perspective at this point is that we need to push the decision making out to the massive masses as far as possible. Yeah, and 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 I forwarded you Vitalik's concave versus convex dispositions, and like. In some, and I, and what you are saying when you say that is you are uh, uh, illustrating a con. Sorry, one second. Uh, I want to get this right because I usually get this wrong. Um, I think that you are exhibiting a concave view. Concave. Concave means that it's out and then in. So the idea is that it's like in the middle is taking away, whereas right. convex in the middle is additive. Uh huh. Wait, 
No, you are con people that think in extremes are convex thinkers. I'm gonna I'm gonna put this in the uh, in the comments for anyone who's trying to. Oh wait, no, I can't do that on Restream. Sorry. Go to Vitalik's blog, Vitalik.ca/general, and in the show notes. And we'll put it in the show notes, convex and concave dispositions. Anyways, one of them, one con, one style of thinking is thinking in pragmatic terms, saying like, okay, here's like seven different perspectives. Let's take the best out of each of them. And then let's formulate an opinion based on that. And then the other one is like, well, let's pick one of the perspectives and let's maximize that one because that's how you get the best ROI. Bitcoiners send, tend to be the more extreme thinking ones and Ethereans tend to be the more pragmatic thinking ones. And I think also status uh, would be the pragmatic thinking type and, uh, you know, crypto anarchists or crypto civilizationists or, or Bitcoiners I, would be. No, 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 I completely disagree. So I, I don't know about the Bitcoiner versus Ethereum take. I think that that would take a lot more digging into, but I would push back very, very strong that status are pragmatic whatsoever. If anything, status are totalitarians. You cannot leave until you get the vaccine. You must wear a mask no matter what. We don't care about the nuances whatsoever. This is the top-down decision, and mm. this is the extreme answer. My answer is saying, you don't fucking know. We need to get as many opinions. We need to have maximized the amount of choice so we can arrive at the right decision as quickly as possible, right? Mm. It's about maximizing optionality so we can find reality rather than top-down decision-making. Thank God the United States has state rights. Thank God that... I can leave California and I can go to Utah and that people can actually see other states not burning down to the ground um, and having different options. Right. Um, so I like I don't know. I don't know how that fits into the yeah. concave. But I really push back that quote unquote status are in any way thinking about like getting lots of perspectives in here. If anything, mm -hmm. it's about like we've already cornered ourselves into a political decision and now we can't go back on it. Like there's right. no. This, there's no middle finding there at all. Okay, let, let's back up a little bit, make sure the listeners are, are with us because we hopped into a debate that we hopped into the middle of the debate rather than starting at the center. Uh, and so I believe that there is value in collective governance versus things that are really big problems. Big problems require big coordination to solve. And those big things would be like the coronavirus, would be like climate change, um, would be like, Per nuclear proliferation, like existential uh, threats need like similarly large coordinated solutions. And therefore, when it comes to things like coordinated coordination around coronavirus, top down like rules and laws about like certain businesses can or cannot open and people must or must not wear masks or must do something to like participate in society that is with specifically regards to a global pandemic, which is a large problem, top down rules like this are appropriate and maximize value. They ma it maximizes value as opposed to periphery computation, risk computation on the periphery done by humans for each, you know, each individual human calculating their own risk for themselves. When each human does that on the periphery, and we know this because this is what we call like a Moloch trap where there's like, um, 10 fishermen around a lake and the only way that the lake produces sustainable fish year after year after year if they all agree to only fish 70 percent of their capacity and then uh you know they all agree to do that except for one and then that one defects from the group and they fish at 100 percent of their capacity which means they make all the money and everyone else is suffering but then they see that guy making all the money so then they start fishing at 100 percent capacity and then they overfish the lake and then the lake dies right 
if that is like the coordination failure that's that top-down centralized government tries to uh, stop with laws right and that's what we are trying to get stopped with coronavirus because it only works if everyone does it like public health is a public good and it only is a beneficial safety net if we all pay into it. And the people that don't pay into it are free riding off the ones that do pay into it. Meaning like the people that are extra cautious, uh, like are, are wearing masks and they're staying home more than others are taking more burden than others who are like out partying in Florida with like everyone else, you know, getting drunk in a pool. And so it's not fair. And so there are some in, in the same way that we were oh, talking earlier. And you about, must coerce people in order to make them do what you want them to and do. Let me let me finish this off. And in the same way that like we were talking about ETH maximalism and BTC maximalism and then MMT maximalism, like people there, there can only be one, right? Because the choice to choose one reduces the power of the other. Therefore, it's like it's you kind of have you can't have it both ways. You have to choose one because it impacts the power. And so when it comes to coronavirus, like we all kind of have to choose to like listen to the state, because if we don't, there is no option to not do that because it, it just ruins the whole thing for everyone else. So you think you have the answer of how to coordinate of like what everyone needs to do, right? I don't know. I, I relegated my decision making to the state. That sounds like a personal choice. Okay. So now we need the we need to get everyone to do that effectively in order for your decision making process to work, mm -hmm. right? Yes. The state so, is supposed to be the shelling point. Yeah. Okay. So, but unless the state actually is the shelling point, mm -hmm. then it's not a good method. And nothing like the definition of insanity is doing something that doesn't work over and over again. So I get that you think that this is a good strategy. And I get that you think that, hey, we need to relegate to this maximally, uh, I guess, neutral entity that's supposed to organize us all. But guess what? The state has broken down. Guess what? There is no social consensus. There is no social scalability around what the state is mandating. So I understand that it's a nice idea and that you think it sounds great, but mm -hmm. it doesn't work. It, it is actually broken. And the only way, just like what Rohan is saying, the only way for it to work is to destroy freedoms, is to attack, is, is to attack individuality. Mm -hmm. So, and it's attack rights and ability to conduct business. Look, I have a tweet here from uh, Republican Eric Solowell, who is, uh, he is a dad. He is part of the House Judiciary uh, uh, sorry, he's from California. He's a congressman from East Bay. He's part of the House Judiciary Committee and the House Intel Committee. And the tweet is from March 3rd. Stop wearing face masks, period. Hashtag coronavirus. So on March 3rd, the person who works for the House Judiciary Committee and the House Intel Committee is top down telling people to stop wearing masks. And this was a blanket initiative by everyone in the government when the market knew we should wear masks mm -hmm. and then guess what then they they flipped they flipped right once they got their masks then they flipped oh hey guess what you should wear masks we were just saying not to do that until we got all our masks for the government they flipped on it and then they completely politicized wearing masks and then it no longer became about public health it just became about totalitarian control and it no longer became about the facts 
And it no longer came about like what is best to, hey, we need to virtue signal some politics in order to do this thing. Like right now, every single Bay Area city has shut down preemptively because Mm -hmm. they want to support Gavin Newsom. So Gavin Newsom said, hey, this is the shutdown threshold. And then all the Bay Area cities who weren't at that that shutdown threshold in order to signal effectively said every single small business, go fuck yourself. Like, how does that have anything to do with the, the virus? How does that have anything to do with the best decision-making process? Mm-hmm. How does that have anything to do, you know, with anything other than politics and totalitarianism? Yeah. So like what, what I was debating is like the theory of the state and what you are bringing up is like, well, the actual, where the actual rubber meets the road, which like, I agree like this, like you can't, you can't like differentiate between the two because like Commun- the, communism is great in theory, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I know uh, that. Yes. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, However, at the end of the day, like, let's, let's say like, all right, then like, fuck the state, the state's not working. What we're ultimately going to do, like, and I don't even know what you do after that point, but I'm assuming you need to, after you say, fuck the state, we don't need the state anymore. You end up with a society, maybe your local like community of people. And then you start to make some rules about how your community engages with each other's. And then you're like, well, now we need somebody to enforce these rules. And so you hire like a local sheriff and then, and then you just recreate the whole entire United States system from the ground up again. Like, so it's actually not a viable solution to throw the the state out at all either, because like you're ultimately going, this is the rule. This is the system that you live inside of. Like you actually don't get to participate. If you, if you're complaining about the incompetence of the state, you need to vote in a way that makes it better. Not to say like, well, the the state isn't working. So I'm, I'm opting out because you don't actually get to opt out. The state isn't something that you can opt out of. Like you actually have to participate as like a civil part of I would the, the way that, it works. I would argue that that's what Bitcoin did is that made it that the state is something that you can opt out of. And yes, every single fourth turning has ended with no. a war and reconstruction, but Bitcoin, Bitcoin is, just let you opt out your money, not everything else. You aren't your money. Your money is a lot of it. Yeah, it is, because it now, a lot of now it. You, it's not about they, whether you're wearing masks or going to restaurants. That, you know, but see, that is, is if a state chooses to become overly bearing people can opt out and the friction to leaving is significantly lower because they can take their value with them that is the revolution and guess what the if you can see like i I would argue that what makes america great is not democracy it's states Mm -hmm. rights and you can see that people are leaving the blue states and they're going to the red states they're leaving totalitarianism you don't see people flooding into new york you don't see okay. people flooding into San Francisco. People are, people are are choosing to uh-huh. take their value and move. And right. what Bitcoin does is it turns the entire world into that. So this bubble that was the United States where people could have inner country jurisdictional mm-hmm. arbitrage, Bitcoin opens the world up to that. That's the revolution. That's what Bitcoin did. Bitcoin so is not going to open up like mask-free restaurants. It's not what it's do. But what Bitcoin does is it gives you the option to go somewhere that that gives that option, that, and, it, and it drastically lowers the friction. I mean, if you live anywhere, you can sell everything you have, liquidate it into Bitcoin, and leave. You mean how Elon Musk and and who is the other one? What's the other company that moved to Texas? I, I don't. I mean, yeah, Tesla moved to there Texas, two, but 
Tesla and, and like one other big, big company. Oh yeah. It was, uh, that, yeah, it was like one tech sales company. Yeah, sure. For the, for the rich, like for the rich people that can afford it. That's the, that's the silly straw man that, that you're throwing at what Bitcoin, I mean, and again, I like Bitcoin does this Ethereum die USDC. They all, to some degree, democratize it. But like, I don't know why you're fighting against me. This is what technology does. I, there, there's just no way in no in no world is like it doesn't matter because you move to a new place and you still have the same sort of dynamics that you're always going to have. There's still going to be community governance. There's still going to be top down control, and there's there's always going to be some human fleshy element of how we choose to interact with each other. And like maybe I, I maybe sharpen the free market. Higher dynamics are changed. Sorry. I said, I agree that like the science of how to coordinate humans and humans delegating doesn't go away that I believe that there will be small governments. It'll just be way more localized and people, again, will have the choice to leave. There won't be this kind of like you are stuck in Venezuela and you have to deal with uh, Chavez and his regime. Right. And honestly, it's never been easier to leave Chavez and his regime. So, I mean, that's the whole point is you now have optionality to choose. Well, so I feel like with the whole migration out of like the blue states to the red states, there's no Bitcoin isn't involved in that conversation. That's just people doing things of their own incentives. Sure. We could talk about how Bitcoin is relevant, but like if you're saying that that's a symptom of like the state like reorganizing itself to, or, or self-correcting to be what the people want, then that would be evidence for why the state is actually working at least slowly in the long term. Well, the United States, in my opinion, is one of the greatest nations. Not because of democracy, because of states' rights, which is aka inner country jurisdictional arbitrage. Yeah. Very few states you actually get that. It's just mm -hmm. straight top-down decision making. And you can't leave. Whatever head honcho says, wherever they are, that's all you get. In mm -hmm. the US, you know, California Gavin Newsom can be an asshole. You can say F you, I'm going to Nevada. You can yeah. say F you, I'm going to Arizona. Yeah. Like you actually have optionality in the US. And what the and the U.S. Everyone runs on the dollar. Everyone runs on this same system. Mm -hmm. So theoretically, Bitcoin going into the crypto world that puts you on a universal global monetary standard, mm -hmm. and theoretically that brings maybe not a hundred percent of the same level of jurisdictional arbitrage to the world, but it brings a lot more jurisdictional arbitrage capabilities to the world. Right? Yeah. I mean, that would be my argument. Like, yeah. isn't that the whole point of what we're doing? Yeah, no, you're right. Demi uh, I remember Dimitri Kafinas was in inter interviewing um, a DeFi guy, Van Spencer from uh, Framework Ventures, on his uh, on his podcast, Hidden Forces, and he talked about like how he thought he saw the the main value proposition of DeFi is is regulatory arbitrage and the ability to like create stuff on DeFi that's outside the state, right, outside of any sort of regulations. Uh, and he he says like like you know all oh, the whole like DeFi narratives aren't really compelling to him. What's really compelling him is just like the, uh, the, the speed of innovation because of the, the, uh, regulatory arbitrage. So, so yeah, we, yeah, I would say we're aligned there. Mm -hmm. Regulatory arbitrage. So Bitcoin is the innovation, the tool that enables regulatory arbitrage. Regulatory arbitrage is the revolution. Like you can't question is the revolution. Mm -hmm. All of this technology, the only thing it does is enable individuals, organizations to take advantage of regulatory arbitrage in a more cheap manner. It takes 
the the guarantees that were once provided by the state, it -hmm. turns it into a globally neutral protocol. And then it allows people to say, hey, fuck this state. I'm going to another state because I can rely at least on this portion of my assurances to come from this protocol no matter what. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what... It, and then that allows you to choose which jurisdiction you want to deal with. That changes the world. That's the whole mm-hmm. thesis behind the sovereign individual. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. That's right. It's also kind of why I think like the future of the crypto blockchain world will be a multipolar world because the ease of spinning up new jurisdictions is going to be extremely liquid. It's going to, there's going to be very liquid jurisdictions. And so there's infinite varieties of jurisdictions to, you know, migrate to. This is what Balaji is talking about with his whole like crypto civilization thing. Yeah. Did you read my sovereign company thesis? I did. Yes, I did. And that fits into that too. Yeah. My, my main qual- qualm with your sovereign company thesis is that all of that infrastructure is probably more uh, attractive if it was DeFi. Like all, all the same theses, but DeFi behind it instead of Bitcoin. <laughs> I mean, but that's just a falsity because Bitcoin is a more liquid monetary unit. So if a business needs financial infrastructure, DeFi will serve it better than just Bitcoin. All of DeFi will serve it better than just Bitcoin. Yes, that's that's not true because all of DeFi is not more liquid than just Bitcoin. But there's more optionality in just tools. That's actually not true because it's less liquid and liquidity is what money is the tool of it's. It's liquid. It's a liquidity tool. It doesn't need all the liquidity. It just needs to tap into it. There's nothing, I mean, nothing needs all of the liquidity. Okay. First and foremost, money needs to be half of every single trade. It is a dominant thing. Winner take all. Okay. I think we both believe that that's a fact. Secondly, uh, for something to be money, it has to be the most liquid good. Thirdly, if something is the most liquid good, that makes it the most useful financial instrument in the world today and ever in history and forever moving forward. So again, if something is money, it will be more useful than whatever financial infrastructure is DeFi absent moneyness. Okay. But with all that said, DeFi, like the sovereign individual, the sovereign company thesis is not like exclusive of DeFi. Right. It's yeah. just saying that yeah. you can build on a on the alternative system and exit. Right. Yeah. Infinitely exitable and and entranceable systems. Yes. Sure. Or yeah, you can just establish yourself across multiple jurisdictions, serve the internet using the global rails, and uh, kind of live outside of you know any one system or any one jurisdiction. Yeah, but you're still subject to like police forces and armies. Like, depending on how big of a company you'll get, like, you'll still get, like, a dude with a rifle knocking on your door if if push comes to shove. I'm not here to say, you know, what structure will create a super sovereign resistant company, but I do bring up the case study of uh, BitMEX and the U.S. didn't take BitMEX down. So Yeah, but also, is BitMEX still really alive, though? They are still operating. Everyone who operated that company is free and rich. And uh, I mean, their customers got their funds. That like they they they, they, they retired on their terms. They retired on their terms. They did so not go retired. down. Bitmex is no longer a thing if they retired. Bitmex as okay. an institution is not the institution it once was. Okay, let's talk about the reality of what 
just happened is the U.S. tried to take an institution down and that institution, yeah, maybe is injured, but it is in no way dead, right? The only mm-hmm. institutions that were able to handle that kind of attack prior to Bitcoin mm-hmm. were countries. Mm-hmm. So that puts BitMEX, a company plus Bitcoin equals nation state status. Okay, well, so that doesn't make them in- invincible, but mm-hmm. guess what? It just completely changed the 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 return on violence. The return yeah. on violence has yeah. completely been is it's been neutered. So yeah. that's again, this is the, the, am I giving you a, a freaking lesson in the sovereign individual? Because that's the whole thesis. Yeah, yeah, it's important so to now, know that, that Bitmax by a million now Bitmax, get a million Bitmax as we know it, it no longer exists. So like, if the goal is to build a anti fragile institution. Like I don't see evidence there. I do see evidence for all the incentives to produce something like this BitMEX and then get rich and then also like stay rich, even though the state didn't like that. That that I do agree with. Um, but if you're if you're arguing that BitMEX is still alive and and you know healthy, it's like no, it's it's dead. It it died the death that the United States government wanted it to die. Like the United States won that fight. I would say that the United States shot their shot and they showed that they are not as strong as they can appear. And every single BitMEX competitor is a lot stronger now because of it. Yeah, that's probably true. And guess uh, what? I, I, and there's I, I, also DeFi. So get, if, if you're talking about is Bitcoin beating the state? Uh, yes, permissionless innovation is freaking winning. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. So now there's seven other BitMEX competitors and there's the freaking Hydra of, of and the mother of all shitcoin exchanges, aka DeFi. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like, you know, take down one head, four other heads appear. So mm-hmm. I mean, why am I why am I on the side of the sovereign company thesis? Why well, I'm on the side of jurisdictions are not gonna be able to stop uh permissionless innovation? It's because uh, I mean that's obvious. Yeah. So, but it only is true for founders like Arthur Hayes, who's like the, ready and okay and to not ever go back to the United States. Like you, you do lose in in the real world sense because again, you, there is no getting away from like a police force. There's always police everywhere. Yeah, I mean, like, like people it, you ask me why this this is why you know when I say that Ethereans are uh, statists and communists that. I, I'm constantly fair. having to defend, uh, you know, free market forces versus state forces. Okay, yeah, okay. He has to take the sacrifice of not coming back to the United States. But guess what? It's the United States small deal. Less pleasant is becoming less and less pleasant of a place to be as the state continues to grow. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's becoming a sweeter deal. Get more growth <laughs> by leaving the U.S. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree. I mean, yes, indeed. Thanks for playing devil's advocate. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm pretty good at that, actually. As somebody who can actually resonate with Rohan Gray, I think I'm actually pretty good at like seeing, seeing both sides. So, I mean, like, in your mind, right? Mm-hmm. So, obviously, like, I have an extreme point of view. Like, right. I think, you know, I think that pushing innovation to the edges is the way to go and that that is an inevitable force that is happening. Mm-hmm. What does the next 10 years look like for you? Like you're pushing, you, you are, you are advocating for permissionless mm-hmm. innovation. You're teaching people right. about it. You know, it's power. Like, why do you think that a centralized institution can stop it or, you know, I think, get in the way? I think I, I think I would be 
a Rohan. I would be like the status government type because I actually once was like I, before I was smart. And when I was naive, I wore CCCP t-shirts to middle school. So like I do have that. I did have that energy in me. Um, Vitalik, this is where that, that tweet came from, bro. <laughs> You're wondering. Uh, I also didn't understand what it was when I was 13. So don't, don't pat yourself on the back too hard. Um, but um, I think if, if the United States or a top-down centralized government uh, illustrated faster iteration and quicker movements and more progressive, just straight-up innovation in like state management then i would probably be a government worker right if that's where like the pace of innovation was then i would be into like prolific like proliferating that via the state tools but that's not what's happening right like i do not believe that we are going to able we are going to be able to vote our way out of our problems i don't see that as a possibility one reason why i really liked andrew yang for president was because like I think one vote of voting yes to pay a $2,000 month dividend would be like a relatively easy vote with a large ROI and like stuff like that, I think is worth fighting for. That's like status stuff that I believe in. But when it comes to like long-term progress and innovation, like it's not coming from the state, like the state, we aren't coordinating our way out of these problems, like on a, in a head on fashion. I don't believe the trajectory doesn't indicate that and show that. And I don't think there's any other alternative other than the state other than like what you're advocating for, which is innovation on the edges, innovation on the periphery. There's only innovation at the center or innovation at the periphery. I don't think there's any such thing as innovation in the middle. I don't know what that is. Um, and so therefore like it's up to the periphery to solve our problems. And so like I'm interested in expanding the periphery as fast as possible so problems can start to be solved. All of a sudden it sounds like you agree with me. Yeah, totally. So I guess okay, but it's not it's not it's not either or. Okay, so some, this is, some this problems can be solved in a centralized manner. So okay, so this this is where I think you know I I guess I I'll come around to your concave versus convex terminology. Is I'm saying, let's stop fucking wasting our time with this horseshit and like let's move towards an optimal solution. And although there's compromises in that direction, I understand that's not going to be perfect. You know. That's the reality. But you're willing to play both ends, right? You're willing to say, let me go full statist now and let me go full market in the future at right. the same time. Yeah. There are some things where we can go full statist, which are the things that we need to get done so that we can be appropriately enabled and have the capacity to go full crypto anarchist, crypto civilization, full, full innovation on the edges. Yes. Like every, every single ideologue or ideology, whether it's crypto anarchy or whatever, or statism needs to go after the low hanging fruit. And if they all do that, then everything works out. And that's what I believe in. I believe in state low hanging fruit for statism. And I believe in low hanging fruit for the opposite of that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's just difficult to tell when, uh, when you've gone too far in one direction, right? When yeah. you're playing both sides, it's yeah. just a lot cleaner just to play one side and be consistent. Yeah. Um, but I, I have to say, I, I, I do kind of come around to what you're mm -hmm. saying. It's, um, well, it's impossible to be completely one without being an absolute lunatic, right? 
Like if you are 100% Bitcoiner, like Mac, Bitcoin Maxi and 0% statist, like I literally at the, the the craziest of extremes where you're like, you're not paying taxes. You are like, you don't comply with traffic laws. Like you do, you're, you turn into a crazy individual. Like even, even Pierre Richard, like still drives on the right side of the road and he still stops at red lights. Like he still follows the rules of the state. Like no matter how like, crazy Bitcoin or maxi you want to become like you're still going to like you know follow laws okay but are laws because of the state or is laws just a social scalability thing right and oh. like yeah you can decide like hey I want to be socially scalable without mm -hmm. like quote unquote giving up all of my freedoms mm -hmm. right um, so I mean it's a nuanced it's a nuanced debate of course um, we've been rolling for, for a minute here. How, do we want to keep going on this? Like, I yeah, mean, this is I, I, a lot more I have, philosophical. I have one last, uh, thing to bring up and then we can wrap it up. I'm reading this book called your next government. And it starts off with a really compelling, um, intro where it talks about how, if you want to ask, or if you want to figure out what the most valuable thing in the world is, the answer, according to this uh, book, and if, depending on how you like draft it up is the rule of law. Whereas like the countries that have established rule of law are the most valuable countries. And Nick Carter wrote about this actually not too long ago in an article where he talked about um, just uh, the association with like the, the way that people follow laws and GDP and GDP growth follows the rule of law. And like one thing I'm bullish on is like Ethereum and Bitcoin, what are they other than just like their own native rules of law that people opt, opt into, right? That's what they are. But also the nation state also provides rule of law. And so like it's worth cultivating both the nation state and Bitcoin at the same time. Like these so, things can be done in parallel. Th this is where I would push back is we have entered into the realm where nation states are also the ones who break the rule of law the most, right? Mm -hmm. They break the well, common no, that's, law. That's they break the expectation. Law. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. But okay. Then that, that's where the, that's where the, the that's where the issues emerge. If mm -hmm. a nation state was perfectly consistent on the rule of law, then I would agree that, Hey, let's cultivate the nation state in order to cultivate the rule of law. But no, what we're, our goal is to cultivate assurances to cultivate mm -hmm. the like socially social scalability mm -hmm. across time and across people and across generations in the most fair way possible. And I would, argue that the nation state although maybe in some point in time provided that beyond what was available now is the biggest culprit the mm -hmm. nation state is constantly the one who's violating rule of law right. human rights all of those things so um i don't know like i personally think that we're get, we're getting to post democracy we're getting to post we're getting to a new nation state uh, level because technology is driving us in that direction well, I, th I think if you think that the nation state is furthest off from, from responding and resonating with the rule of law, then that is actually where we should put our attention to because it's the biggest problem. Like the biggest problem is that the nation state should follow the rule of law and they aren't doing that. And so when it comes to like cultivation, Bitcoin is going to happen on its own. And like, it doesn't need cultivating. It's going to march its way into success. The nation state needs cultivating. And so maybe as like our civic duties, as people that inhabit this planet, it's actually our duty to cultivate the nation state because it's the one with the biggest problem. That's what, that, I feel like that's a fair alternative worldview. Is this one, I mean, it's, it's one that's asking for help.
or we can just let it burn, burn and die, <laughs> and uh, start off with a new one. You know. Sure. You gotta burn it down sometime, bro. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. You do have to burn it down sometimes. All right. All right, y'all. up. Yeah, if you like nuanced conversations that go beyond <laughs> Bitcoin and go beyond <laughs> even our reasonable expertise, <laughs> subscribe to uh, POV Crypto. Make sure to follow me at CK underscore Snarks and at Bitcoin Magazine. You can follow me at Trustless Date both on Twitter and on Bankless. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Will you deceive?